0: Across the galaxy this is where conspiracy on the wild side meets the perspective of a lifetime this is the free zone with your host freeman hello and welcome to the free zone well here it comes folks again <laughs> Again, I don't know. But yes, we're definitely not alone, the news states. Uh, intelligence official says government is hiding intact alien craft and bodies. And uh, they're acting like this is the first time they've said this. Uh, David Grush uh, claims that the government has gone to extreme lengths to hide the knowledge of this extraterrestrial life. Uh, he's a decorated Air Force veteran, former member of the National geospatial intelligence agency and former member of the unidentified aerial phenomenon task force who claims he was privy to these classified government secrets now he's coming forward to blow everybody's minds and tell us that we are definitely not alone <laughs> well, i'll tell you what uh i i couldn't think of any better time to bring back mike clellan's as we start to discuss this extraterrestrial story, as we start to realize this is less than a government op and more of a shamanic experience. There's far more to this extraterrestrial connection, UFO events than uh, tic-tac UFOs being filmed by Air Force officials and then trying to tell you that there's something going on. But there's this, this need of finding proof and... Uh, so let's go, let's talk with Mike Cullen, author of the Messengers, author of a new book called The Unseen, where he has taken his work and and fictionalized uh, to really dig in. Uh, this is something that I've I've been thinking about because there's no one that has more questions about these extraterrestrial or UFO uh, than the experiencers themselves as uh, they try to sort out what the hell. And if I could just toss in one more little mystery that uh, seems to go along, you know, there's a lot of amnesia that comes along with extraterrestrial connections and uh, uh, lost time and all of that. Well, people are experiencing this at Taylor Swift concerts now. I don't know if you've heard (laughs) (laughs) the post-concert amnesia from Taylor Swift concerts. Well, (laughs) what is going on there? Uh, (laughs) So please... Uh, let, uh welcome mike and uh let's get into letting go and writing the unseen and and how to get to your own truth i think this is so fascinating but you know please welcome to the show and, and uh, let, uh i'm jumping ahead
1: oh great no it's great to be back and and uh, i did a. we both my i used to have a podcast i haven't done anything in a few years and um but i I interviewed you and after the first book, The Messengers came out, you interviewed me. So we have, we're sort of whatever we're, but the scales are balanced at this point. And, um, and oddly, I think we have a very similar kind of life experience. We're expressing it in slightly different ways, but I think that that core experience is the same, or let's say that this is something I use all the time. So I use the term um, flavor and mood, right? So what what happens is, here let me back up a little bit when i started my blog in 2009 very early on i started exploring the question of owls because of some direct personal experiences and consequently which i didn't really get, realize it at the time this was 2009 as far as like our oh i mean the 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 internet And our online access and our online comfort, I guess, at this stage of the game is different than it was now. That would have been 14 years ago. And then in that era, like, it very quickly realized, like, if people Google or did a search, put me in a search engine, typed in UFOs, owls, they were finding me. And so I started just putting right on my website I put you know I want to hear your owl stories right at the top and I have it on my website on my blog if I do a talk from a stage at a conference I I say as much I want to hear your owl stories I, I if I do a podcast like this I say I want to hear your owl stories and I'm not even worried if they connect to UFOs anymore I've kind of like loosened my grip on that so what happens is I have been at the receiving end of these stories and it's not like I'm not digging into the you know, like, I'm. you can't see me, but I'm putting my arms out really far wide. Like, there's this, there's the big, giant UFO collective, right? There's it's this giant pool of what is seemingly bottomless data and stories and accounts and, and myths. and But, but what, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm asking, and I'm receiving, so I'm asking for owl stories. I'm receiving them. In the context of the UFO and it is like the narrowest little sliver within this giant great big pool and I will say within that sliver the stories that I'm receiving have a palpable strangeness that accompany them. So people will contact me and say oh I've got this really weird owl story and then they'll send me the story and I'll and they'll say have you ever heard of anyone having this event and oftentimes like not word for word or not the event exactly but this I've just typed this so many times in my reply to people I say like, I have not heard the same story as yours but I have heard many with the same flavor and mood and that was that's true right so so you get a, a handful of stories they're not the same stories but wow they leave you with the same mood the same impression It's, it's this, you know, like not all music is the same, but certain music can touch you in a similar way. And that's what I'm finding. So, when I started the fiction project, so here, let me back up one more time. Uh, I, in 2015, I put out a big fat book, it's 400 pages long, and it's called The Messengers. And it's where I make the argument that owls and UFOs are somehow connected in 2017 I put out a book called stories from the messengers and that was basically long format stories that did not fit in the original book like I had contacts and I had what I was finding is that there's a there's a complexity to these stories and I'll use the same term again this there's a flavor and mood to the complexity of these stories so it is very difficult to like you know you want to make your point in a in a book and you you want to make one point i can pick the correct story i can share a few sentences from that story and make my point but, but what i was finding was i was talking on the phone to people and you'd you i mean you must know what i'm talking about you have the six hour phone call and you realize like every account that i'm getting there's like a novel waiting to be written and and so the, the, the second book was me sort of honoring the richness and complexity and strangeness to those stories and instead of just a few sentences, you know, like, oh, he saw a UFO in an owl. I wanna show the buildup, the changes, what happened in the person's life. So that reads like a book of short stories. And then I did a, another book in 2019, which was a memoir. And that was my blog, I started my blog in 2009 In 2019 would have been the 10-year anniversary. And that blog, if I pick the appropriate blog posts, there's like, I don't know, 800 blog posts or 900 blog posts on the blog. If I pick the appropriate ones, because I was really telling a lot of first-person accounts and sort of spilling my guts in a way, there was a narrative that emerged in the blog And I knew which stories to pick. And so I chose the ones that told the story of what would amount to my confirmation experience. At the beginning of the blog, I was basically saying, I don't know what's going on. I'm having all these experiences. I don't know what to make sense of them. I don't believe them. I don't trust them, you know, and I was frazzled and at my wits end. And then as events were happening, it wasn't like reading in a book where I I would write a memoir and say, 10 years ago, this event happened. I was writing, this happened last night. I am writing about it in the morning. And and there's an urgency to that. So, well, I can say that the the third book, which is the memoir, which is called Hidden Experience, was not as popular. And people with like a kind of a armchair interest in UFOs kind of get back to me and say, yeah, I didn't get that book. But people who have had the first-person experience get back to me and say, oh, my word, that book spoke to me. Like, you wrote the book that I needed to write. You know, you are describing the emotions that I have felt. So you stack those first three books, one on top of each other, it's a thousand pages and that's a thousand pages, you know, roughly about UFOs and owls. And sometimes people would say, Hey, are you going to write another book about, you know, like, and I would, the correct answer was like, if I wrote another book, it would be the same goddamn story over and over and over again. Like I, like if I couldn't express it and couldn't get my point across in a thousand pages, then, then, you know, Too bad, you know, like that would be a mistake to try to just retell the same set of stories. I mean, I could certainly put another book. It would would feel like the same book in a way. But um, somewhere back in 2010 or so, I had, I just got a bee in my bonnet. I don't know how else to say it. I, I got like totally inspired to do a comic book. I was a professional illustrator. I was all about just like, wow, I could just do this comic book. I could write this comic book. I could do it. I did a bunch of sketches, and it just like, I just had this idea like, yeah, this would be a really good story, and I contacted, you know, here's what happened. I wanted to include these mythic elements in it, right? So so I was reading a lot of um, The Secret Sun, and around 2010, there was still kind of an active... And you must remember that chapter. That there was like term that was called the synchromysticism or the synchromystics. There were people like Alan Abadessa. Green was putting out a lot of stuff, and and there was this kind of there was a kind of active group of folks that were putting out these kind of overlapping, I want to say almost frenetic uh, blog posts about synchronicity and such. And I was, and I was kind of tapping into that somewhat. So I contacted. Chris Knowles who had worked in the comic book industry and I said listen I'm having a hard time I'm trying to squeeze in these mythic elements and it's not working like it's turned it's, it's coming out really corny for this comic book project And he said don't try to squeeze them in he said don't try to do that just follow your heart and let your heart tell the story and those mythic elements will appear and and I took that to heart and I did that, but also in the conversation we had, we basically, he he sort of warned me off of doing a comic book all by myself. He said, hey, you know, nobody does a comic book all by themselves. There's like a, a team involved. There's like, you know, someone does the inking, someone does the coloring, someone does the lettering. You, you'll make yourself crazy if you try to do a comic book all by yourself. And I recognized that and I got frustrated and just put it on a shelf. And that was before, that was, that was like in the first year year or so of the blog and that's that I wrote up a tidy treatment and that treatment sat dormant essentially for I don't know eight or nine years and I picked it up one summer I like said hey like I'm gonna I forgot all about this like maybe I can do this as a book and I read the treatment and it was I was like you know there's something here and I spent a summer probably the summer of 2019 trying to trying to solve the this book issue like i can write i'm gonna write a fiction book and it got nowhere i got so frustrated i just put it away and then i pulled it out again during COVID, during the lockdown and in like between 21 22 23 yeah there were about three years there where i was working on it pretty steadily and what happened was i would i didn't believe in the story i didn't trust it i didn't think it was good but at the same time, I just tinker with it, and I and I was kind of this half-hearted writer, right? And I didn't throw myself into it fully. And I would kind of pick up a little thing, and okay, oh, let me let me tinker with this chapter, and oh, let me like go back and let me rethink this, and and it was really frustrating. There came a point when I looked at what I had, and I realized I had I had crossed the line. I had more than half, like I had done too much to not finish it. And that created a certain dedication. I was like, well damn it, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this happen." and I and I pressed through and and then I worked with some folks and I actually read some stuff aloud to people over the phone and and they were really into it and they were like, oh no, this is good. you need to follow up on this." So I so through friends I I got I tr- I began to trust the story itself, which I did not until that point. Here you go ahead and chime in. I just I feel like I held the floor there for too long.
0: Oh, not at all. No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here hoping you'll inspire me to do the same because I sit here with all these questions from my youth. Uh, I have abduction memories. I have cover memories. I have a dad that's involved in extraterrestrials and Freemasons and uh, killer submarines with Jimmy Carter. And you know, my dad was like something else and uh mom raised by witches and things like that and it just it's there's this story here of my my constant contact with this uh whatever phenomenon and yet i have all these questions of what really happened are these memories real and sometimes i feel the need to just uh do what you did sit back and and write just a fiction that is loosely or even closely based on actual experiences and bring to life a story that might take all these parts and pieces together. And then, you know, the little interconnections that go with that when you try to bring one part of the story to another.
1: Yeah. Well, that's not easy, you know, in the sense that you have to, as as what, what I ended up doing was letting go. There was a, um, like I, I had to, I had to, you know, there's like this kind of illusion of writing, right, that you've got a tidy story, it's got a beginning, middle, and end, and you can just kind of write it the same, like I think, like a real pro could write like a, like a Kojak episode, right, and have a beginning, middle, and end, it's not true, but it's pretty formulaic, and I... I don't have any expertise in writing or I like, no, I've never done anything like this expertise. That's even the wrong way to say it. Like I had no foundation in writing fiction. But what I did have was a, like from the even the messengers, which is this nonfiction book. Was is a very emotional book in many ways. Like I, I was part of that book. I was sharing my emotions and then certainly the blog. I shared a lot of my emotions and so I, I realized and people had told me this and that I was good at writing about my own emotions. So the story itself I just was like I and and so first of all it started out as a comic book, right? Now in a comic book you have you have permission in a comic book you should expect the themes to be big and grand and bold and the plot points to be to be, you know, tip into the absurd at times. I mean that's the nature of a comic book. That boldness, that ridiculousness, almost absurdity, maybe. Um, so you have permission in a comic book to really go for it. So that was my fallback. The whole time I was like, this is a comic book, and and um and the act of the act of writing was interesting. Because right, so you, you you work on a paragraph or a chapter, and you've got some ideas, and then you write, and it's going to take on a life of its own, right? And it's like walking the dog. No matter how much you think you're going to walk the dog, the dog's going to run off in the bushes somewhere along the way, and and that's fine. That's how you walk a dog, and how you write fiction. As much as you want to like make a little outline, it's going to it's going to go wherever it wants to go, and and I and I and I learned not to rein that in. And I, you know, like I had a pretty tight outline at first, and then that fell apart, and I'd make a new tight outline, and that would fall apart, and I'd revise that and and, um, but the so the story this is tough because there's a there's a lot of spoilers in this that I don't want to get into, right. but the 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 story itself begins this is total comic book logic, right? So there's a guy in a mental institution, and he's there's a doctor coming to visit him. This is in the first six pages. You can read this on the on the um and on amazon where has a little look inside you can read what's called the preface and it's it's basically a character tells a doctor he's attempted suicide and has gone into the light basically and come back but he's come back as a different identity this is this would be a tough sell if it was anything other than a comic book but but that was the premise and then the person that came back so you know full well that that the person in the story telling the story was once alive he died and came back in the in the form of this person trapped in a in essentially a prison so he tells this story and that is the core of the book the story that this person tells um. and the, he is in many ways me he was an artist a disillusioned artist a frustrated artist a moody artist <laughs> that's me for sure and he And I did metaphorically, like I gave it all up. I was working in New York City, working for ad agencies. I gave it all up and moved out west as a ski bum when I was in my, I don't know, must have been 26 or something like that. And and that metaphorically shows up as this guy, you know, walking into the desert. So there is this point when the fellow like turns his back on society, not quite knowing why, and walks into the desert. And he has this trippy walkabout kind of experience and it was it was really because not much happens in that first part well i guess let's say there's a lot of internal dialogue and um and a lot of it is about creativity and the loss of creativity and feeling that loss and then also is he's struggling to make sense of this lifetime of memories paranormal memories synchronistic events and um and then he eventually gets to a town. And when he arrives at the town, there comes a point when it it goes from part one to part two, and that's a two-part book. But the first part is maybe I don't know the book's three hundred pages, so it's less than a hundred pages. The where he's walking in the desert, and the rest of it is another story. So it's it's interesting. There's a woman who who I trust. She's very psychic. She has a she runs tours of like ancient Egypt and ancient um, sites in the UK in Ireland and in England, Um, and she read the book. And she was like, wow, I really like this book. And she was the perfect person to give me feedback. And I was like, okay, the part in the desert, which she was one of the early people to read the book, I was really nervous that it would just like drag on and wouldn't make sense and people wouldn't get it. And I said, what did you, the part in the desert, how did that seem to you? Like I was basically saying, were you bored? Right. And she said, that was a ritual as old as time. So I was like, oh, she got it. She got what I was trying to say. And I recognize that most people are coming back to me and they get it, that that like this fellow embarks on a ritual. You said early on in the talk, just the shamanic aspect of these things. If there was a, I want to be careful not to give away too much, but if there was a hidden subtext, there is a shamanic initiation that takes place to this fellow. So part one is him struggling to make sense of his experiences his own internal dialogue basically woe is me what's happening and this part two is a detective novel then it turns into raymond chandler where he is he has arrived at this small town there is a mystery in this town and he's going to play detective and try to figure it out so so it's a sparse empty town i didn't have the chops to write a big complex story with m- tons and tons of characters so it's very sparse cast and he's gonna he is he is have you read raymond chandler the philip marlowe
0: books no i haven't read them. okay they're, they're the textbook i'm aware of them
1: night- yeah, they're the textbook 1940s detective things. They're beautiful. Right. They have that's the there's a reason we love detective novels, and that's that's because of books like, you know, The Big Sleep and and The Long Goodbye. So I I took I loved those mo- those books and have read a few of them many times. So I the 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 first third of the book is the setup. And then this the part two, the second two-thirds of the book is a detective novel where the the main character basically tries to solve the mystery and the mystery is his own involvement and there's there's spies in this town he works in a little coffee shop do you remember mac tony's the, he was an author uh, around 2009 he died in october of 2009 he put out a book called the crypto terrestrials no he, okay so he was a friend of mine and we talked on the phone a lot and he died at 34 as as from an undiagnosed heart condition and he wrote a beautiful book a ufo book called the crypto terrestrials it's short i think it's like 80 pages and it's wonderful it's a wonderful short quick read it's available on audiobook and in that so he died it's my understanding he died they found him in bed is by all accounts he died totally peacefully and the finalized book was on his desk with the red pen marks on the on the manuscript. So that book, I did the illustrations for that book and I was pretty good friends with him and I was crushed. I was crushed when he died. He worked at Starbucks and we talked a lot about coffee. I never met him. We had long, long um, late night phone calls. And he was on Coast to Coast AM and it's you can go back in the archives and listen to the one time he was on Coast to Coast. He was on and two weeks later he, he had died and and you could hear George Norrie's brain his his you could just hear his brain like trying to catch up with Mac Tony's big ideas and so there's a character in the story that is 100% based on Mac Tony's and he works at the coffee shop so this fellow who walked in the desert his name is John he's based on me roughly loosely with comic book logic to to make the story you know bold and big but, um, so he, so in essence, I get to work at the coffee shop with Mac Tony's
0: okay.
1: in this mythic realm. And that's sort of the hub of the little town. So when people come in, it's like, is this the good guy or is this the bad guy? Is this guy working with the spies? Is this guy not? We're like, Why does he know this person and not this person? So there's a little, that's the core of it. And it's a very, on one level, it's a very simple story. And then on another level. Like, wow, did I go for it. Wow, did I try to push the biggest themes I possibly could squeeze into the story. And many of those accounts came from the stories I had collected, the people who had sent me the UFO and owl stories. So there's owls in the stories. Oh, here, let me say one more thing. It's just my own personal challenge. It's a book about UFOs. I never say UFO once in the book. It's a book about synchronicity. I never say the word synchronicity in the book. Um I never say alien, I never say abduction, I never say um I never use like anyway, so so I I tried 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 to undertell parts of the story and let let the flavor and the mood the flavor and the mood would then imbue the story with the emotional let's say the emotional urgency that anyone who has had these experiences would understand
0: yes many experiencers go through this need for the shamanic quest because that's pretty much exactly what I did I was able to just give up on the world like I think my life was so fantastic in my youth And I mean that in the sense that it was bizarre and unexplained and uh, life didn't really make much sense to me. So I literally just wandered, you know, became a nomad. And, you know, same experience as you went to become a ski bum. I went and just I was a ski bum, too, and a beach bum. And I, I really had no connection with the real world as it were. And I wonder how many of the experiencers have gone on these type of uh we'll call them shamanic quests but it really just kind of a, a nomadic ass screw it all <laughs> i'm, I'm going to just go and figure this out i don't know
1: i i I'm the like the 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 provocative side of me wants to say everyone did but i know that's not quite true you know i worked in new york city as a yuppie like i was fully i had a great apartment in manhattan in the 1980s and and like i was busy and Sought after in like doing freelance advertising work in my 20s doing mostly animation most of it for um, Like storyboards for animation. Let me put it that way. So and uh, And it was soulless. Oh my god. It was soulless. I loved the city and then I I, and then moving away to to uh, to the West um, Was just remarkable for me like it really felt like my real self and Um, I'll also say this is something that shows up in, I'm not hiding anything. I've talked about this. I mean, I'm not saying anything I haven't shared elsewhere, but I went through a really dark period of clinical depression when I was 30, like, like crushingly dark. And, and, and that, that made that, that rewired me in a way to look at life differently, like to make my priorities different. You know, my priorities were no longer money. My priorities were no longer, you know, like a respectable career, let's say. And, um, you know, I was doing some outdoor work afterwards, after the event of the, the 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 whatever nervous breakdown, whatever term you want to use. I then started doing outdoor work where I was teaching, living in the outdoors, doing a lot of that. And that certainly shows up in the story. So, fastest oh, man was... up
0: the mountain. I just want to point out there, folks. Fastest, ma- fa- fastest man up the mountain. That was you. Oh, I don't know if I was the
1: fastest guy up the mountain. There was uh, all kinds of, I was all about like smelling the flowers too. So right. um, on the way, but um,
0: yeah. Sorry, I was just trying to point out that you were a very talented outdoorsman.
1: Oh, well, that was working in a team of talented outdoorsmen. So it's kind of funny. People say that, you know, when they go hiking with me these days. And I was like, yeah. well, I was, that was like, you should have lived in the town I lived in where everyone did the worked for this company. And wow, did, was there like a, was there a heightened pool of like dynamic motivated Friends that I had in that chapter of my life.
0: So, just to throw it in there, I I also went through a great depression, a nervous breakdown, and I'm I'm still in recovery. Technically, I mean it's been years now, but I'm I'm a different person as well. So I understand where you're coming from.
1: And I get it too. I get it too. And I and I feel like I don't know. I just look at the world sometimes, and I was like, you know, like so these people, like he, like I. I, it was rough, it was dark, but I, the person I am now, I would, never would have been that person had I not have gone through that event. I wouldn't have been. Just what I said earlier, I said I was very good about writing about my emotions. Wow, that was not the person before my breakdown. That right. person before my breakdown would not have been able to write about his emotions. The person I am now feels empowered, let's say. Or let me say, I have permission, I have given myself permission to write about my emotions and it, and it has been so rewarding.
0: Right. Well, I don't know if you had another point that you had listed, because I have one more question before.
1: Oh, here, the one thing I just wanted yeah. to say was that the, um, uh, like that story breakdown that I just gave you, just kind of that intro, I haven't done that ever for anyone, oh, right? Because well, Some people you. say like, what's the story like? And I was like, I, I was kind of like, eh, you're asking a big question. And what I used to say, it's like, Twilight Zone meets Twin Peaks meets um, uh, uh, the X Files, right? And then it all takes place in a little Twilight Zone type town. You know, Twilight Zone. They'd be like, sometimes some of the plots take place in these kind of mythic, haunted little towns. It. I tried to create that mood and flavor.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of drawn to the idea of uh, the the Gunslinger by Stephen King.
1: Oh, which I've never read.
0: Ah, epic, definitely. I think you would enjoy that okay Uh, but it wouldn't get to these points and these things but you know stephen king he's definitely part of this whole target thing and they just released uh under the dome uh stephen king book uh, that became a film by steve or a, a tv series by steven spielberg which is produced by microsoft and i've been watching a lot of these end of the world scripts that have been coming out um, I want to get into those into the second hour. I want to stick with us here. Uh, got some really good stuff planned, guys, for the second hour. That's for sure. Uh, a lot of things that uh, I don't hear Mike uh, really get deep into it, I want to get into. Uh, but as we're talking about the unseen and the ability to finally just get your emotions out there and and to write this and start to maybe even figure out some of the parts in your brain that aren't fully cohesive because there's so much, uh, amnesia, like a Taylor Swift concert, there's just little bits and pieces that we have. So this idea of tying it all together in a fictional tale, I, I have a feeling that you were able to maybe find some more things ab- out about yourself that, uh, you know, kind of came out in that writing. That's, that's what I'm kind of hoping happened anyway.
1: Well I don't think I necessarily found more about myself like I don't think I found out about myself but I felt like I was able to express like the 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 struggle of not knowing in a, in, a, in an emotional right. way so right. I didn't I don't think I think I came out the other end um you know so what happened was like when a, a handful of people got back to me and said, basically were very complimentary about the story, like, oh my gosh, I love the book. And that oh boy, that helped so much. I don't think they were I don't think they were saying it to be polite. And that really helped me. That really allowed me because I basically you write a book, man, you're locked in a room alone. It's like it's a solitary act. And then in the whole time, I mean years, I was like, what am I doing? And then to have it come out at the end, like like you're doing well. And another thing that happened is, so the character in the book, basically, the book takes place in 2009, um, and it's just at the lead up to the financial crash. So the character of John kind of walks away from his his life, and he has this giant kind of adobe home in what seems like Taos, New Mexico. I never quite say it, but it kind of sure feels like Taos, New Mexico. He's like, doing Western art, and, and then... He, and then he finds out later that while he was walking around alone in the desert, every, he lost everything, lost his home, lost everything. You know, robbers came and stole all his paintings. Everything's gone. Zero. He has nothing. And he lives in, in, and honestly I got to that point, a bunch of life things happened where I was suddenly broke. I was like living off of credit cards and this is combination of just life decisions and dedicating myself to these UFO books and dedicating myself to this research and 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 I I like went to zero, you know. I, I'm not proud of saying that, but it was like it mimicked the book. I was living the character in the book to a lesser degree. Obviously, it was a the book is fictionalized and but I was in in um like i um, I had the conversation with my brother. My brother was like, yeah, you know, like, seems like you should get a job. And I was like, this book is my job. He had no idea. Like, it didn't make any sense to him. <laughs> I've like, seen that. Like, and I was uh, like, no, no.
0: Us, us poor creatives. <laughs> I know,
1: my brother's an engineer, and I'm not. <laughs> and so yeah. he, I was basically, this book is my job. Right. And then, it, so to basically, like, you know, every month I had to, like, you know, I get a pittance of a royalty from the other books. And I would try to live off that royalty. And then all of a sudden, they'd cost of living went up and the my royalties went down and the credit card debt went up I was like every month was just like shocking what I had to do to make to like make it all uh, like balance out and I and then at the same time I had to be true to the story that was tough well actually I'll I'll, I'll let me say this is that was not tough society from the outside society would say wow that was tough but, from the inside, like I had no choice. I had to be true to the story and really, and I'm a slow writer, so i would I really had to had to craft the story in that way. you know living like I had become the character John in many ways
0: right i I completely understand that well, there is a magical power to writing, and there's a magical power to reading, and it kind of forms this co-creation. So I imagine that uh. As people read your book, there, there were a lot of responses that were saying, hey, I felt this. I, I had these same emotions. Or after I read your book, I started seeing owls everywhere. You know, did these sort of things happen? This power of the magical power of reading this book and the co-creation?
1: Well, that so that goes back to the 2015 book of the messengers. That certainly happened in that book where people were seeing owls and stuff like that. Um, you know, this book's only been out a few weeks, so I can't really answer that question. You know, like people are getting back to me, and and basically, what people are saying is they 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 felt like they they got lost in the story, and and there's a there's a podcaster named Kelly Chase, and I did an interview with her, and she there's a, there's some couple of powerful plot twists in the story. And when we talked on the phone, I was like, what about that one point? Uh, How would you think of that? Like, you know, like right there in the story. And I'm not going to tell what the plot twist is. But, um, and it was kind of in the early part of the story. And, but, because it's unbelievable. Like an unbelievable event takes place early in the story. And, and she said, it was, she said, I'm going to quote her roughly. But it's hard for me to, I'm from Michigan. So it's hard for me to like toot my own horn in a way but so I'm gonna quote her she said you had sprinkled just enough magic dust along the way in the story when that event occurred like a big flip-flop in the story this is when it goes from his own personal story where he has to become a detective that flip-flop he said that that point in the story you you had sprinkled just enough magic dust along the way that that felt real where it obviously wasn't real; it was absurd in its, but it felt real in the story because it worked in the context of the story, and that was that was a wonderful bit of feedback for me because that was what I was really aiming for.
0: Well, as we we're getting closer to the end of this hour. Uh... I'm curious of your thoughts on this. I'm going to switch gears here. I'm curious about your thoughts on this uh, first contact uh, confirmation from the intelligence officials saying we are not alone. What's your thoughts about this news story now being uh, the major headline all over everywhere? Why all of a sudden, you know, uh, or not really? Why I mean, but, uh, but yeah, w- what, what are your Lazar thoughts
1: tell basically say the same thing like? You know, yeah. thirty years ago, like on well, like well, it's like like, it was I was bored with that thirty years ago? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. You know what? Honestly, I like. I don't want to waste my energy on that story. Uh, like, so so he's like, like this didn't happen by accident. He didn't just kind of stroll out of his office and just say, "Hey, I'm going to decide to spill the beans." Like, there's he had to act I mean, like, there's some plan in place, you know. And 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 I and. And that's my sense. Like I don't know. Like I mean, I rep. I I think that uh, Ralph Blumenthal. And I think he's. This is this is in the context of an article that was also in the Washington Post. I think. Like I might have this wrong, but I know that. Um, that. Uh, and it's funny. I know a few. I don't want to say insiders, but a few people, and they kind of said, you know, like, oh, you know, there's this thing that's going to come out, and you know, like, and there was hints dropped by. Certainly hints dropped by. Um, Oh, I'll think of his name in a second. Um, uh, I can't, remember, I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's from Stanford, I think. Uh, and, but, I, you know, the story of crafts and bodies has been around since the 80s. That's, you know, 40 plus years. I, I, I like, and every, yes, it's a very interesting that a guy's like going on talk shows and talking about this now. And it was kind of interesting that it was a, the one interview that I actually saw, it wasn't like on an A plus network. It was one of those kind of like, kind of, was, I'm not sure.
0: Actually, sponsored by Elon Musk. Uh, oh. It was, uh, oh God, I'm going to forget the name.
1: Oh, it and was, but I, sp- I didn't realize Elon Musk had a hand in this kind of thing. So it was, uh, a,
0: he, he had sponsored that debrief, I think it's called. The debrief. Oh, oh,
1: I don't. Yeah. Th- oh, the debrief is that's the that's the thing with. Uh, um, Micah Hanks works at that site as well as. Uh, yeah, so I know I am very familiar with that. MJ
0: Benias works there. So that's where this was broke. The, the story broke. Oh, they broke it there. Oh, yeah. how interesting. Uh, the news okay. had turned it down.
1: How interesting, because I it's my understanding this is all just scuttlebutt. That's whisper against whisper against. Like, it's, like, it's like it's like it's like, you know, gossip. Basically, what I'm sharing here, but I had heard roughly, loosely, that it was supposed to be broken in the Washington Post. It was broken on the debrief, how interesting. So I know a handful of the guys in the debrief. Like, yeah, like, I I mean, I think it's an interesting story. It should be shared, but like, just
0: be How careful. many times have we heard this story?
1: what well, do you mean, I mean by be
0: careful oh but the people oh, just
1: be careful to say like oh this is the grand unveiling of like you know this right. the dawning of the new age like eh, you know just just be careful my sense is very strongly that this guy will kind of go down the same path as 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 um bob lazar you know bob lazar there was all kinds of like there were like legal accusations against him. And they were like weird little things that to, were used to discredit him. Some of them were very weird. Like he said, he went to MIT and there was no rep, you know, there was no, he had no, uh, there's no paperwork at MIT. Like, was that the secrets keepers at work? Did they go in and clean everything out? I mean, that's, I mean, I guess, you know, that's nothing's impossible, but you know, so my sense is this character who's coming forward and telling the story, I'm I'm waiting for him to get discredited publicly for something. If that doesn't happen, then maybe they've got some new MOI um, or whatever it's called, a, a, you know, operating procedure where they're going to, where they're going to, some other thing is taking place. But I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm appropriately cautious to, to treat this as the gospel.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Though there may certainly be bodies in, in craft that are, that they, that crashed crashed. Uh, uh, crashed flying saucers that have been retrieved by special government forces yeah sure i'm open to that
0: you know what i find uh really curious at this moment uh i've covered this a few times but I'll, i'll i'll lay it out here for you real quick um that during covid uh when mike pence was saying 15 days to slow the spread there was an asteroid threat that was happening at that very moment a massive asteroid threat uh, it made very little headlines, but there were headlines, and uh, we were nearly hit during the lockdown. Like at the very moment they were doing the lockdown, and at that time we had General O'Shaughnessy as the head of Northcom, and he was, you know, running all the things because uh, he was combatant commander. Basically, he had become, you know, commander in chief for this emergency because that's what happens with the head of Northcom. Uh, They become basically president. I mean, he wasn't technically a commander. Anyway, (laughs) this was going on. General O'Shaughnessy was in charge of this this emergency we call COVID. Uh, But at the same time, there was this massive asteroid threat that was happening at the exact same time that no one was really paying attention to. And then as soon as that was over, uh, in the midst of the COVID uh, emergency, General O'Shaughnessy suddenly resigned from being head of Northcom and U.S. Space Command and went to work for Elon Musk at, at SpaceX. Like, when does our NORTHCOM commander go work for SpaceX, right? Uh, during this you know, potential asteroid threat. And then uh, he gets replaced by General Van Herc, who is currently our combatant commander or head of NORTHCOM in U.S. Space Command. And he comes from the 509th bomb wing, General Van Herk was uh, stationed at, at the 509th Bomb Wing, which is the very people that took care of Roswell. So our current combatant commander is you know, uh, affiliated with Roswell, and our last combatant commander just suddenly resigned and went to work for SpaceX. I mean, things are getting pretty weird out there.
1: Yeah, now here's a little detail, which, yes, yes, this is, that's on a big, big scale. And then on a weird little sort of side note, I when this would have been back in, I'm going to say January, February of 2020, just when those first whisperings of like, hey, there's this weird thing in China. And hey, like all of a sudden, like the airports and the West Coast and oh like, you know, the hospitals are noting these cases. Right when that was being, was showing up in the newsfeed, there came a point when that like rapidly got scary let's say like all of a sudden you know like the 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 the, the news reports were getting a little more heavy handed and then that then that i remember there was a weekend i was i was um i was living with a woman and in at the time in upstate new york and and there was there was a his, the boy the son her son and i was living in the house there so i was in the father role in many ways and there was a uh, he was there was a play that he had friends in, and there was Friday Saturday it was playing so they they you could go to the play on Friday night they closed it Saturday so they it was like right at that point when all of a sudden it was like oh shit everything's closing so at that point on Netflix there was an episodic documentary a multi part documentary that was beginning that. day. Day, like essentially the day when it went from from oh like something's going on to like oh crap like the whole world's on shutdown. There was like it felt like one day that was the day this documentary premiered about the 1919 influenza epidemic, and it was a multi-part series about that epidemic, and and I just that struck me as very curious and now at the same time I will say that I am very open to the Synchronistic powers that like want to unfold in the universe like that is the core of my universe I find that more interesting than You know than like the the cigarette smoking man at the table and the X-files with his with his group of power players You know that are that are pulling the strings behind the curtain That's I believe that happens <clears throat> to some degree but i also believe that like there's magical forces at play and that and that can also show up in our popular culture in that netflix story like that was i've i've never talked to anyone who remembers that it's it's listed on imdb but it it like it essentially never premiered they pulled oh. it that day
0: what was it called
1: i think it was called pandemic or okay. i think yeah i think and it was about the 1919, there was a book that came out when George Bush Jr. was in office about the 1919 pandemic. And George Bush supposedly read the book and liked it, and it scared him. And he said, hey, we need to get a task force on this. And this is the story. I don't know how much of this is true. So he had his his the people who worked there um, put together a, a report. He lost the election. Obama arrived, or that whatever, Obama, was the next president and that was when the report was created by george bush it was finalized under the obama administration it was a big fat three ring binder what to do in the in the event of an epidemic epidemic and that supposedly the trump administration hated obama so much they wouldn't even open the three ring binder that's a nice story i don't know if it's true or not
0: right yeah, there's, there's a lot more going on, folks. And uh, without a doubt, I, I don't feel like this is a political issue when we're dealing with this extraterrestrial threat or non-threat or just experience, however you want to put it. Uh, there's so much more to this story, as, as Mike Clellan will show you in his writings with the messengers and just the ideas of the synchronicities that are bound to these things and basically taking on a deeper reality and, and realizing what is actually going on on planet Earth uh, because we're so lost in our heads at this time that we don't tend to interface with our magical powers and we don't really find our way through this. Uh, so there's so much more to this experience, folks, than the idea that the UFOs are bringing uh, high-tech weaponry to the military or abducting humans and, and doing rectal scans and whatnot. <laughs> uh, there's so much more to this. Uh, so, oh, yeah. so
1: I, when I talked so I've talked to thousands of people who've had the UFO contact experience, seemingly, whatever that means, right? That's a rough, like, what does that mean? Right. Is it, are they on board a metal spaceship? Right. The, that's the news reports now say there's a metal spaceship, a seemingly metal, who knows, you know, like somewhere in some hangar in Nevada with bodies in a freezer nearby. I don't know. Like, that's a great story. I don't know if it's true, but so like I've talked to thousands of people and I, I will occasionally hear accounts of, oh, I was on a table. I felt like I was on a table and they were doing medical exams and I was taken on board this craft. I've heard that, I don't know, a couple of times, like so few that it's statistically essentially zero. I'm certain people have those stories. I'm certain that, you know, but that's not what I'm hearing, you know? what i'm hearing is people telling fantastical absurd loopy logic experiences with synchronicity with wild left turns in the in the trajectory in the trajectory of their life right so that's i'm hearing what I'm, what sound like mythic fairy tales where people are having where people are hit with with synchronicities or absurd coincidences of such power that it changes their life. That is what I'm, and then these people are also having UFO sightings. They're having owl experiences. And once in a great, great while, I'll hear someone talk about being on a table. I heard people being on, talking about being on board and they talk about it in the weirdest ways. They say it's the sound is different. They, um, I've heard people tell like the guy who has glasses is taken from his bed at night. Right, and he he doesn't and he, and he doesn't have his glasses with him. So he's essentially he's got very bad eyesight. He can't see. He's on board the craft. He sees fine without his glasses. Something else is taking place. This is this is what I want to explore. That something else. There's this pop culture knowledge. Let's say this pop culture idea concept of what UFO contact might mean. But there's the on the ground first person struggles with what seems to be unfolding and that was what i was trying to put into the book the messengers and trying to put into the book the fictional book the unseen that turbulent mystery that like the guy sitting there talking talking on you know there's a videotape of this guy he's got you know he looks like a total he looks like he worked for he looks like he works for the some secret organization within the government and he's talking about you know crashed saucers and bodies and and he isn't talking about wild mind-bending synchronicities. He isn't talking about like people's spirituality changing. You know, this is what I'm finding. This, this, and then the the framework that I wrap around this is the shamanic initiation. That is the that is the tidiest analogy I can come up with and I'm not the only one, other people have come up with this too, most specifically John Mack in his book, Passport to the Cosmos, but the shamanic initiation fits very cleanly. It answers a lot of questions like, okay, if someone's having shamanic initiations, then they should have strange coincidences. Then they should have a change in their spirituality. Then they should look at reality a different way. Yes. And the near death experience would also bring that on too.
0: Right. Very similar in a way. Yeah. Well, amazing. And I can't wait to dig in deeper, guys. There's so much more. I've got some great stuff coming up for you. So please uh, come on over to freemantv.com and subscribe to get all the bonus hours and to keep this show on the air so that we can keep these messages going out so that we can realize that there is a deeper reality here and that we are being transformed, but it's not in the way that we think in the 3D transition, but within our own souls and, and our reason for existence. And all of these things are what's changing. And this is what Mike Clellan's books show. So Mikeclellan.com is the website to get everything to, to dig in and to, to show his blog. And uh, Mike, if you're interested still in turning this into a comic book, uh, I do have a great crew for you called the Metasabians. And the Medisabians had attempted to try to get these mythic tales out there as well in a a comic book form, not dealing with UFOs, but with uh, synchronicity and, and many of these forms and i'm a character so i'm actually a comic book character in metasabians you get to see me half dressed uh, <laughs> i don't know why my character's half naked throughout the comic but it is and uh <laughs> but metasabians they they're really on that tip and they're amazing artists so if you really do ever want to try and turn this in i will definitely uh, get you in contact with the metasabians and if you listeners want a comic book with freeman and a bunch of the other people you've heard uh, we're all in the comic book, so it's pretty impressive. It's called Meta Sabians, and then there's another, the Sync Book, uh, a book all about people's synchronicities and how this has all occurred. and uh, I have a chapter in there. I do well. too. Oh, well, there we go. We're, we might
1: be in the. I'm in Sync Book too. I, there's it's a three volume book, and Alan Green put that out probably a decade ago.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna to have to go look. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Well, that's fantastic. everyone's in so, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve
1: Wilner's in there. There's a bunch of folks in, with names you'd recognize. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know we had that in common. Uh, fantastic. So, yeah, the sync book, Metasavians. Uh, so, folks, we're trying to get this message out there in a big, big way because right now it's so political and politicized, and everybody's losing uh, sight of their spirit and the true purpose of existence here and the transformation that needs to occur. So uh, I highly recommend getting over to MikeClellan.com and, and getting deep into this, because this is a story that takes it to a no- another level, into a deeper reality, a super spectrum, if you will. So uh, thank you for that. And we always have to thank Steve. Uh, Steve Mercer, the associate producer here. And keeping this ball rolling, keeping things going. Thank you, Steve, so much. And if you guys have any ideas or show thoughts or anything, send it over to Steve, producer Steve at freemantv.com. And as always, you can write me, freeman at freemantv.com. And I hope you all are following me on Twitter, at freemantv, where I start to drop uh, the news and stories and things that I think are important. Not a whole lot of tweeting from me because I hate social media, but I do it. (laughs) And so... Hopefully, you guys will follow along and, of course, the real Freeman fly on Facebook. Um, are there other connections that people could find for you, Mike? Or uh, is That's Mike- a
1: great one. Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the, we can get the book on Amazon and that's the one connection that's place to start is just MikeClellan.com. I got a blog and art sites and stuff like that, but they're all, the hub is MikeClellan.com.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's linked right here for you guys to go check out. And I hope you'll come over and become a member because this next hour is going to be fantastic. (laughs) We're going to dig in deep. So thank you all, and we will see you next week.